welcome to the Hawkeye Psychic Podcast. And you're very welcome back to the Hawkeye Psychic Rugby Union Podcast with your host Mark Kennedy. Joined again this week by Liam O'Brien. Liam, how are things? Great, Mark. We're just celebrating a great win at the weekend. Massive result in Tolman Park given the circumstances. So in this podcast episode, ladies and gentlemen, we'll review the 14-man Munster performance. As they beat Northampton Saints 27-23, we'll have an in-depth review of that fixture. Look at the other Champions Cup fixtures of note in round three. A stroll for Leinster in the shed against Gloucester Rugby. Heartache again for Ulster Rugby coming so close yet so far against La Rochelle. And also we'll look at the Challenge Cup fixtures. Connacht Rugby hitting 61 points against Breve in sports ground on Saturday night. We'll also look at international rugby, namely Dave Rennie being axed as the Australian head coach, being replaced by none other than Eddie Jones. We'll have a reaction from Liam on that. And also looking at Steve Borwick's Six Nations selection as Owen Farrell is named captain. And maybe Liam will get a little bit of a prediction from you on the Ireland selection ahead of Thursday. So I suppose we'll start from the start, Liam Tom and Park on Saturday afternoon. What was your overall impressions of the game? Uh, Munster winning 27-23, but again, the proverbial game of two halves. Yeah, absolutely. It was a completely game of two halves. I mean, to be three tries to the good, 24-0 to the good, um, and to be honest, just expecting the inevitable in the second half, um, which which never came. We played superbly in that first half, but it's like Northampton in the second half just had our number. Now, the, the fact that obviously we were down for close to 60 minutes, down to 14 players, certainly made a difference. And you'd almost have to question why Northampton couldn't get over the line, you know. But look, we, we, we stuck it in there. Very brave performance in the second half. Northampton were getting on top in the scrums. Excellent general play. They're directed by their uh, scrum, well, their out half. And yeah, so, I mean, look... It, we'll take the win, absolutely. I think you'll certainly take the win given the circumstances. Being down to 14 players for 58 minutes is a magnificent achievement. I would probably question Northampton Saints in video review today how they couldn't get this job done given that circumstance. But I suppose we can start from the start lane. Again, a very strong start from Munster, aided by a pretty mixed bag from Northampton Saints. Set piece going awry at different stages here. Munster getting a lovely front football early. 90 seconds gone. Joy Carberry slots over regulation penalty to make it 3-0. And then we had Gavin Coombs over uh, on eight minutes after a tap and go from close range. I thought lovely ingenuity there in the setup of that try. Yeah, exactly. Well, the first thing was that it was a, a good scrum penalty that we won, you know. But um, it was yeah, it was the fact that there was, um, I think it was, was it Scannell who, who kind of flipped the ball the other way? And um, for Coombs to be driven over with the other lads. So it, that, there was actually a bit of ingenuity in the, in that tap and go, it has to be said. So it was a very strong start to be, you know, 10 and up. And then I suppose, look, we had a bit of a yellow card collision there. Carberry with, uh, I think it's Mike Haywood. Def, definite yellow, definite yellow. Yeah, I was just going about, about to ask you, Liam, what was your verdict on that? TMO from the, the TV footage where I was watching look to be pointing to a red card, but match official Tranini literally had other ideas, had been asked to look at the incident again. What was your verdict there? You think it was still a well, yellow here? Yeah, no, I I think, look, look um, he was certainly stood there. He also kind of had his, if I remember, he had his, uh, put his arms out, you know, for the collision as well. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I, 
personally wouldn't have said that that was a, a red card all day, no. Yeah, I mean, referee is identifying the initial contact to shoulder, uh, thinking that was low risk. So, fair enough, 10 minutes. But I thought Munster, for a good chunk of that uh, sin bin, were pretty ponderous with ball, you know, maybe being a little bit overambitious with the ball. Uh, but again, when they did settle down, put phases together, they did stretch Northampton Saints' defence to breaking point. And again, I thought it was very good link-up play from Carberry to Gavin Coombs and then the support line from Jack O'Donoghue, absolutely superb to get Munster in again with Carberry converting 17-0. So another nice score from Munster. Yeah, absolutely. And as, as you said, it, it was that nice interplay with, with Coombs as well who, who had an absolutely storming game. Um, and in terms of iron selection, look, it's a no-brainer. But um, that was actually the last contribution, I suppose, of Jack O'Donoghue to the game as such because afterwards, just after that, um, he got a straight rage for I suppose. Look, it was a dangerous shoulder to to the um, the body of well, the head of ribbons. And and again, for me personally, like you know, he probably didn't deliberately do it, but like you know, the way it looked, it did look like a, a red card. Yeah, like where you can contend with Mike Haywood's yellow card, was it not? I think in this one it's a clear red all day. You know, there's no there's no rap. Like Crowley's going low. And again, we talk about tackle technique here, and it's just unfortunate for Jack Donahue again gets it all wrong. I mean, it, it, the images here were not good for him. I think it's the clearest red card I've seen for many a month here, uh, Liam. So I think Jack O'Donoghue Munster really can't have any complaints. But again, it kind of had ramifications. Um, not that you would have known it straight after it, Liam, given breakdown work again of the likes of Tyke Byrne, setting up field position, culminating again in Gavin Coombs uh, going over uh, to make it 22-0, Carberry with 24-0. But that 14-player advantage here for um, Northampton Saints. It was always going to take its toll. But uh, I suppose going back to that Munster third try, another good move again, you know, building territory, building phases, and uh, Coombs just unstoppable from two metres out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, again, just, just going through the phases quite comfortably. And at that stage, you know, it, it was it was a question of how many tries were we going to get, you know, um, not even just about a bonus point. But that was about as good as, good, as, good as we got. Um, that was the highlight. Exactly. Now, in fairness to Northampton Saints, I've been critical of them in this podcast, particularly on their La Rochelle road trip. And I felt it was going down the same kind of road. But I think the Jack O'Donoghue red card did certainly galvanise them. Because even there was little signs there just before half time. There was a few half breaks there, particularly on the three quarters. Finn Smith as well, who had a very impressive game for such a youngster in the out half position starting to orchestrate things and it was just maybe the last pass and one forced error so I think Munster Rugby knew going in to the sheds at half time 24-0 that this game was far from being done given the, the one man advantage here that Northampton Saints had and kind of so approved in the second half uh, Liam I mean what a contrast what a transformation whatever Phil Dowson the head coach of Northampton Saints had said really did resonate because uh, Northampton particularly on a set piece scrummaging sensed the weakness and they went for it. And I mean, there were subsequent penalty uh, wins here and really set up the field position and I think set the tone for the majority of the second half. 
Yeah, I mean, look, they, they weren't they won a penalty against the head, you know. Um, and so for for their first try, um, they'd spread it wide for Freeman, and he just strolled in, um, for a score, and that was the the, the start of the comeback, and Smith converting, um, and then he, he got over a, a quite a a long range three pointer as well, so I mean, game on at that stage. Exactly, and at this stage, I think for me, Roman Salanoa was struggling. He, he went down for treatment with about ten minutes left in that opening period. And I don't think he had recovered. But take nothing away from Northampton Saints. I thought front five were galvanised in that second half and really did ask the questions here. Salano on that front row of Munster and penalties were being conceded. I mean, Finn Smith's penalty, as you say, 24-10 came from another scrum penalty. And that was the cue for Salano to depart the scene uh, for John Ryan. I suppose, Liam, we have to talk about the second try for Northampton. Probably the best phase play, I think, from Northampton uh, during the game. Some lovely kind of passes. Again, there was a stew kick over the top. But what was your reading of the subsequent backfield defensive monster? I know they're down to 14 players, but could we have done a little bit better on that second try? You know, Rory Hutchison's like chipped through and then Ram just scooping it up and, and powering over. But um, yeah, I mean, look, you'd have to say Calvin Ash, maybe I'd have to say, can't question there, was, was a bit caught out there um, in my view. Yeah, I certainly think that Nash probably in video analysis could have been a little bit better there defensively. But again, Mike Haley having to come into the line, kick over the top. Then Carberry, given the the arduous task here of basically peddling back, backfield. But what was your reading of it? Was it the fact that Northampton's rush defence was so impressive here that didn't give Carberry a chance to, you know, really kind of make a decision on the ball? Or was it a case that maybe Carberry could have kicked this ball out into touch and looking to reset uh, the troops again. Yeah, I know. I, I think I look. I think that, that, that Northampton maybe it's, it's the fact that I don't know, we're a bit predictable. To be honest with you, that that they were able to 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 um, turn the screw in terms of their their rush defence in the second half, and you know that we weren't going to be varying too much. And yeah, I look at Carberry. That's what he should have done. He should he should have kicked a bit a bit more effectively there. Now, take nothing away from Northampton, I thought it was an incredible counter counter ruck winning the ball. And again, it was quick, quick ruck ball and Ram going over. I mean, really puts the thing into the melting pot. Finn Smith, with a, I thought a superb kick, uh, makes it 24-17. And again, suddenly here, Liam, the ground, it felt to me that Tom Park was getting nervy by the minute here. And again, really kind of... Uh, setting kind of a crescendo here for an exciting finish. I mean, John Ryan with a few turnovers here. I suppose that's probably the frustrating part from Graham Roundtree and the management's perspective straight after the game. Roundtree was pretty stoic. Um, glad how the guys had dug the, get the result out, but also a bit frustrated. And I thought maybe there was certain points here in terms of the turnover ball from John Ryan setting up attacking position that we just weren't good enough in terms of our attacking intent and even our ball retention around the rock area was pretty poor to say the least particularly from close range yeah but as you said like um we had we had some some turnovers there in the second half particularly in the last the last quarter and that was the most frustrating thing we just did nothing with them we just get the ball back to northampton and the momentum was all with them you know i mean we just never got any sort sort of a, a um attacking play together in that second half the only two I can really count were the two kind of close range kind of uh, efforts that Northampton did very well to repel. I mean, one was a counter ruck at the base of a ruck uh, where Greg Casey was completely exposed. And then Tyke Byrne as well um, exposed in ruck area ball presentation. 
uh, ball was a little bit isolated and Northampton winning turnover uh, in front of their own post. So I think from that perspective, it was only really two genuine attacking opportunities team. And I suppose that that's the effect of playing with 14 players. We're not going to commit as many players to the ruck area here and compete at the breakdown. So I think Northampton were getting an awful lot of free-flowing quick ball. And I mean, they're not top try scorers from the Gallagher Premiership for nothing. And I think they kind of showed it in spades in that uh, second half, more notably with the performance of Finn Smith at 10 and Alex Mitchell at 9. I thought they orchestrated things very well in that third quarter. Smith, certainly, I mean, he's a guy now that has been looked at, obviously, in, in, in light of, of England because he kicked some massive, he had two, I think, in a row in the second half, massive long-range kicks, you know. And, and had a nice running game as well. So yeah, I mean, look, they they were they were very impressive. And look, they're not, as you said, they're not the, the leading try scorers in the in the Premiership for nothing. They really have pace when they run. I was very impressed by Finn Smith, and no wonder he's been included in that 36 man England squad that we can talk about in, later on in the podcast. And Finn Smith nails. A long-range penalty after Alex Cadellan was pinged for not rolling away in the breakdown to make it 24-20. But I think this was kind of a key moment of the game here, uh, Liam. I want to get your viewpoints on it. Ram was pinged. Um, now, I thought there was two attempted half-tackles that were missed by Munster Rugby, but the match official gave a penalty for Munster um, off that. Uh, what was your viewpoint on it? Ram, you know, I suppose, look, he, he was a judge, wasn't he, to be held in a tackle. He he was actually breaking, so that was yeah, that was like a <laughs> definitely home kind of town decision. You'd have to say there, you know. That's yeah, that that was certainly calmed calmed our nerves because that was the probably let's be honest with um that was going to be make us win the game unless something like like a try and conversion for Northampton. Yeah, I just thought it was such a pivotal score given that it was a four point game. Northampton still were on the front foot. The fact that Crowley the composure to nail that kick puts it a seven point game. At least if worse came to the worst, it was still a level ball game for Munster rugby. So, I mean, 27, 20, you thought maybe the game was over with about three to four minutes to go, but not a bit of it. Northampton coming up the other end of the pitch. And you have to credit Shane Daly for that, uh, that tackle that he made coming off his wing, a crucial play at a crucial time. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, that was it. They, you know, they, they were going to have an overlap, and they were they were going to they were going to stroll in absolutely. So that that was absolutely unbelievable, like a key per, performance and key moment. But I suppose, look, I mean, we have to think. We really have to question because everyone on the ground questioned it. So you're there, and you're 27 and 20, right? And they had a chance to kick for the corner, and the way things were going, quite frankly, they were probably going to try. Who knows if they would have got a conversion? But I mean, for your man just to decide and the team, let's just kick this and uh, blow it up kind of job. Okay, like it wasn't, it, it was still a few minutes to go, but quite a perplexing decision that Northampton made. It's it's one of those ones where, Liam, if they came up the other end of the pitch again straight after the restart, Gavin Combs didn't do the choke tackle of choke tackles and they get up the get up the pitch and score a try, we'll say inspired decision. Fact of the matter is, I think, given the context of the game, they're playing against 14 players here, team. They have to be confident of their front five, really, to secure in that line-out and really kind of pushing home the advantage. Finn Smith was playing superbly well, hitting nice touch finders. 
yeah, for me, that was a kind of a mistake. I think leadership, I think video analysis from Northampton really will have to focus in on that. I think they let Munster completely off the hook in that particular uh, instance. Uh, I agree with you there completely. And uh, maybe was there any appetite for Northampton pack to keep going again? A serious question here, because to me, it just seemed to be, look, we've done our day's work here. Thanks very much. And move on, uh, which is fair enough. There was still about 90 seconds left in the shot clock. But yeah, I think it's the wrong wrong time to be going for the post there. Game's in the melting pot. They should be looking to get something out of it. But again, I think, as I say, Munster uh, were let off the hook. And uh, I suppose we can talk about that restart. Um, Gavin Coombs just completely incredible there uh, in terms of uh, his body positioning, everything there to kind of close the game out. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Salakai Lotto actually gathered the ball quite cleanly and effectively there. And it's just, you know, the ball came on and Coombs got it, got stuck in there and um, we, we, we got their hands in the ball in the, in the mall. Yeah, so tremendous, tremendous, um, you know, to, to, to end the game that way. And that was that was that was it. Exactly. I suppose reflections on the game here, Liam. I think the 57 minutes for me of this contest, maybe a, a long one here in terms of legacy, in terms of fly half position given the decision to replace Joy Carberry for Rory Scandal and putting Jack Crowley in it from 12 to 10. I think it was definitely a statement of intent there. What did you think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, there's nothing about it. Like, I mean, Scandal, Scandal into centre and uh, Crowley down to 10. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it, it's, I mean, it was a race statement this week with Murray, but this is an even a clearer statement with Carberry that they clearly see their future with Crowley as 10. The halfbacks now for Munster, I mean, you, you have to question Murray and Carberry not even looked at at Munster as being first-choice halfbacks. Uh, will they get selected for the Six Nations extended squad? I think they probably will, but also you'll find um, Crowley and potentially Casey as well in there. It's, it's an intriguing one here for me, Liam, because this is, with 23 minutes to go, your European season's on the line. You've just really conceded a pretty soft second try and the decision of management to haul off Carberry. I don't know what that says to the player in terms of not being able to kind of recover and say, I can close this game out for you guys. It just seemed to me it was a pretty forensic decision from management that Crowley was the guy that they were going to basically place their trust in and intend to close out this game and so it proved so I'm with you here I think Andy Farrell has an awful lot of headaches here in terms of the 9 and 10 ironically enough given when Munster went down to 14 players I think that would have been a tailor-made game for Conor Murray just in terms of his experience his nose his kicking game his ability to slow things down maybe our nine selections on that Saturday were a little bit guilty of playing to the system more so than to the game time conditions in front of them. Uh, I think Murray would have done that, but obviously you couldn't you couldn't fault Casey and Patterson for the form leading into this fixture. But I do have a sense that Murray may get some involvement in Toulouse this weekend, just given the magnitude of the game and also the calibre of opposition that we will definitely need experience at some point, particularly in the 20-30 minutes before full-time, to really have a level head and half-back to really close the game out. Yeah, and, I, and to be honest, I think I think you could see a lot of the the experienced players 
starting or, or certainly coming on early, the likes of John Ryan too, you know, a tight head prop in somewhere like Toulouse and and uh yeah, you'll you'll see all the experienced players being picked, I think. Yeah, but I think the positive here and there are positives here for Munster, I mean the fact that so many of the young prospects were in at the coalface, European season not a line in Tom Park, down to fourteen players for fifty eight minutes. I thought the young players acquitted themselves exceedingly well again. And, you know, the likes of Hodnett, Cadellan coming in, Gavin Coombe's monster game, as you said, the 20 tackles, the two tries, and then reverting to second row here as well uh, when Chan Klein went off uh, early enough in the third quarter. So I think all in all here, Liam Crowley, again, at 10, he's learning his trade here. But again, he's stepping up in the key moments here. And I think to be fair to Munster, Particularly in the first quarter, there's an awful lot to like in terms of that performance, but maybe a little bit of variation in the attacking play, that going around the back again, those kind of pass moves were being easily read by Northampton Saints uh, in that third and fourth quarter particularly. So I think video analysis will have good and the bad here for Munster, but again, there has to be confidence going into that Ernest Vallon uh, fixture on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, I mean, look, it's, it's about getting one point, I suppose, which... If we get no points, we're still probably there, but that one extra point could get us up to sixth in the table and uh, avoid uh, the, the the big teams pool A. But um, yeah, look, look, the season is is still we're improving with every game. It's it's a real confidence booster to to win that game the way we did, and yeah, some 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 great performances. I mean, Coombs is just as good as any back row in Ireland right now. Klein was so prominent. Hodnett, the yeah, I'd even say like you know, like Scannell did well, Haley prominent as well. So yeah, very positive performances. Yeah, I think so. I mean, the red card is a game changer. Otherwise, I think Northampton are cons- consigned to their fate. Will be leaking a bonus point try fairly quickly just before half time, and the floodgates would have definitely opened at that stage. But I think it's just the red card is a complete game changer, and I think Jack O'Donnell, who's probably a must relieve guy, coming out of Tom Park. Um, given uh, what happened. So I think there is room and there is always scope to improve. I mean, this is far from the finished article here from Munster Rugby. But given the start of the season, Liam, there is a progression here in terms of the results. But also you can see some progression in terms of the attacking play, the fluidity, the cohesion between backs and forwards. You're, you're kind of seeing that, particularly in the, the first 20 minutes here. Now there is scope for improvement in terms of game management, in terms of the attacking game plan. But again, that'll all come. But I think, first and foremost, they got the win. Disappointed we didn't get the five points to really kind of secure ourselves into the next round. But again, Munster may know what is required going into the final round of games when they play on Sunday afternoon. Because I think that Stormers, Clermont-Avern game will be the key one. Um, And we'll probably preview that in a few minutes. Supposedly, we can look at the other Irish provinces in the Champions Cup. Leinster Rugby went to the Shed to play Gloucester Rugby. Gloucester putting out the frontliners, but to be perfectly honest, it was very similar in terms of results and also performance. So we're kind of running away with this 49-14, seven tries. And I think really, if no one had heard of Jamie Osborne before this contest, they certainly will have known about him now after a very spectacularly stunning performance. Yeah, um, and I mean, his his partnership there with Ring Rose is, is, is in, in headlights now. Um, to be fair, like he 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 was one of these guys again this season who would have been emerging Ireland and 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 moving on from there, and he's now a, like a, certainly going to be in the Six Nations squad as far as I'm concerned, and he's going to be there at centre. I would say seem seem game time at centre. 
I think this is just such a pleasant addition for Leinster Rugby. Look at the age profile of Jamie Osborne. He's 21. Like, his best days are ahead of them. And an awful lot of people quipped in terms of this emerging Ireland tour, but look at the offshoot of it. I mean, the likes of Jamie Osborne, his skill set, his performances have gone to another level. Same with Shane Daly as well, I would say. There's quite a few guys in that emerging tour to South Africa to start a season who have kind of elevated their game to the next level. And I think from the provinces, Andy Farrell, Easterby, Mike Cat, I think it's fulfilled an awful lot of the ticks in the checkboxes here. And uh, I think Jamie Osborne was superb at 12. I said 13 earlier. Apologies for any Leicester fans who are going to ping in. But the fact of the matter is seven tries. The ball went rolling here fairly quickly for Gloucester after four minutes. Caelan Doris with a superb pass to Jordan Armour to get things going. 11 minutes at Michael Alatoa, basically tap and go, unopposed, crashes over. Now, we do talk about penalty tries in due course, but look at the variety of tries here. Osborne with just an absolutely stunning solo try. Doris again, tap and go, 48 minutes, secures the bonus point. Ross Byrne is slotting these conversions as well. 48 minute, Hugo Keenan, very nice break from James Ryan. Um, I was going to say Harry Byrne, Ross Byrne, basically setting up uh, the try for Keenan. You've Josh van der Fleer, close range efforts and then Ronan Kelleher on 78 minutes with a, a, a very decisive attacking mode from a line out I mean if you're going to critique and this is a critique the two penalty tries conceded here Liam one in either half resulted in two yellow cards first one for Andrew Porter and the second one for Caelan Doris so I mean maybe a little bit of focus there for Leinster Rugby ahead of the Racing 92 uh, visit to the RDS yeah of course it is and, and I suppose look I mean, it might be noticeable that Jenkins was not playing and that the, those penalty tries, you know, the the, the, the Leinster Mall isn't quite the same without him and the, and, and the power that they have. Yeah, I'd agree with you there. And I think there is probably Rob McBride. I'd say there's been plenty of reps there in terms of defensive malls, uh, even this week ahead of that Racing 92 game. But I think overall... It uh, doesn't say a whole lot for Gloucester Rugby. I mean, they went to RDS with a B team saying that, you know, resting all their marquee frontliners. But the fact of the matter is they were never in this game. And to be perfectly honest, it was a, a pretty satisfying win for Leinster Rugby. I mean, they've qualified, but obviously would like to be top seeds, control their own desti- destiny. So, again, this Racing 92 home fixture, I think, may be an intriguing one here. And, I mean, Jamie Osborne's stats here, 15 carries for 83 metres, but I think significantly 15 passes as well here, Liam, just shows the creativity that Jamie Osborne has. And it's a great story for Nace Rugby Club and the outer Dublin kind of grassroots here to have another guy that's literally delivering as such a young guy as well. Michael Millen as well, came on for Jordan Armour as well, didn't put a foot wrong, Jimmy O'Brien. I mean, you can go on and on here, Liam, but the conveyor belt of talent for Leinster Rugby here is absolutely sensational right now. Yeah, it is. And, and, and you know, we were thinking, oh, the, the, the owl lads, you know, maybe the ring roses and the seconds and all that would be gone and suddenly there'd be a chance, there'd be a chink of light, but no, absolutely. They, they, they have incredible talent uh, coming through. And as you said, Millen too is, is a, a smashing pro- Absolutely. So, no, in fairness, it's a um, satisfying win for Leinster. Again, another five points on the board, 15 points, top of uh, Pool A at the moment. But again, we'll preview round four uh, for them uh, in due course. What can we say about Ulster rugby here, Liam? Uh, I mean, more heartbreak at the death. I think Ulster fans are just sick and tired of seeing the last 10 minutes of these games. But 
in fairness to Ulster, they galvanised. We were worried going into La Rochelle and this La Rochelle fixture. But in fairness to Ulster rugby, they stood up. They put the tackles in. It was just so unfortunate at the end with uh, Joel Schlavi uh, coming over, crashing over in the final play of the game. But I think some encouraging signs there from Ulster rugby ahead of the Sale Sharks fixture this weekend. It was nearly half time. And then they got the penalty in the last quarter. And as you said, the final play, they, they lost the considered try. I suppose, look, La Rochelle also turned down an awful lot of um, penalties mm-hmm. and kicked to the corner and, and didn't work out for them as well. But yeah, look, I mean, a, a hugely improved performance to go to the home of the European champions and uh, to almost get the victory. But again, almost is, is the word that you use now a lot nowadays for Ulster, isn't it? It's just that last quarter again. It's just the squad depth. It's everything that's there, really. To be fair, it's um moment in the season this uh, weekend coming against Sale Sharks. Really do need a big performance, five points, hoping that results go their way to get them into the last sixteen of the big dance. But Nathan Doak with a lovely penalty on sixty-three minutes in very challenging conditions. Name, I mean, it's horrendous wind and rain in La Rochelle throughout. But it's just that last quarter, the impact subs coming in. And it's just, unfortunately, it's the last 10 minutes. I think teams have identified that Ulster rugby really can close games out. And if you do have that attribute to you, teams are going to keep going right up until the final whistle. And so it proved here, I think La Rochelle, as you said, were very patient in terms of what they needed to do on the night. And they finally got it. They did experiment. They did rotate players around. Ulton Delan uh, making his La Rochelle European debut as well. Didn't do too bad in horrendous conditions. But again, Sassy comes in. It, they build momentum in the last 20 minutes. And the penalty counts started to get into La Rochelle's favour, culminating in that last-minute score. But I mean, yeah, there definitely needs to be a win here, doesn't it, Liam, for Ulster Rugby this weekend? Otherwise, the the season may be in complete freefall. Yeah, it is because, uh, you know... It it just doesn't seem to get any better, you know, because after this they have um, the Stormers in the league, you know, and they have. It, it looks to be like when you look at, at Munster's remaining games compared to Ulster's, Munster's is arguably more brutal. So yeah, it doesn't get any. They have to get certain wins and get a bit of momentum, and they, look, they can still turn the season around, you know. They're still they're still there. They're still in the URC. They face, uh, you know, a sale shark side, which I suppose looked last week, 25-3. Well, they've, they've lost to Toulouse, but I mean, with a man sent off. So, Sale are a good, are a good, good team and are capable with the motivation they have of, of turning Ulster over as well. Yeah, because let's get to sale sharks, because it probably hits two birds, one stone here, because sale sharks opponents last weekend was no other than Toulouse uh, arriving at sale. 27-5 really doesn't tell the full magnitude of the performance from Sale. I thought Sale for 65 minutes were superb. They started the game so well. Uh, there was the the early try, but then came the visa, um, sending off for a, a dangerous clear-out after 18 minutes. And we were talking about Munster having to defend for the 58 minutes. Again, to lose what they did was very stay, remained very patient, Yamane basically tacking over points from penalties and then right in the last 10 minutes, two tries scored. So again, you can't really say here from a Toulouse perspective, I thought it was a workmanlike performance from Toulouse, but I take nothing away from South Sharks. I thought their work rate, 
their creativity, their ingenuity to kind of keep keeping the fight was admirable. So they're not going to provide any freebies to Ulster Rugby uh, this weekend and have aspirations themselves if they can get a win. It puts Munster in a little bit of, may I say, a little bit of butter here in terms of trying to get a top eight place, particularly if Claremont were to go to Stormers and get a result there. Yeah, there are certainly, I mean, those are key fixtures, I suppose. Look, sail away to Ulster and then Claremont at the Stormers in terms of defining the last few few places there. But I, I think probably, you know, the way the Ulster are at the moment in terms of their form, Sale can go there looking for the win, for sure. Absolutely. <clears throat> I think it's a make or break one for us rugby. But yeah, for Munster rugby as well, it's all about performance focused. I think Graham Roundtree and management will be focusing in on Munster performance more so than Toulouse. Toulouse will bring their A game. DuPont was maybe noticeably quiet against Sale Sharks, but I think take nothing away from Sale Sharks, thought their back row really did quieten him uh, in the game. But again, DuPont will be fairly prominent uh, against Munster. So I think for Munster, just they need to be well organised. They need to execute the basics well. Uh, again, they may require a loser bonus point. They'll know what the permutations are going out there. But I think they can't be pushing these um, pushing the permutations. They need to produce a performance. And again, they could take inspiration from Ulster Rugby, uh, particularly last season, in terms of going to, to lose and getting a win. So it's not off the realms of possibility for Munster to get a win here. But I think things have to go fairly well for Munster in terms of their set piece. I think Scrummage and Liam, you're a little bit nervous on uh, heading into this Toulouse game. But again, if we can get the set piece right, Munster have every chance here. They're known to compete very well against Toulouse historically, and hopefully that is the case on Sunday. Yeah, and I mean, look at in, in the home fixture, really, too. I mean, some of those missed kicks, you know, from Carberry, you know, I mean, there, there was literally nothing in it in that game. Um, so I think it's basically a question of us fronting up again and... Toulouse, you know, will have the kind of squad that can bring on the, the, the big um, players, big powerful players in the last 20 minutes. Um, and we just have to be in it every, every minute of the way. No, it's a fascinating game anyway. And I suppose we can finish off the wrap up of the Irish provinces, the Challenge Cup, Connacht Rugby uh, against Breve. We felt that Breve were vulnerable going into this fixture in the sports ground in Galway. So it proved. Take nothing away from Connacht. Connacht were absolutely sensational on the night. Uh, John Porchman, an absolute beautiful try. 61-5 kind of tells his own story. From a Connacht perspective, they travelled to Kingston Park, Newcastle, who are zero points after three games. And hopefully confidence is high here for Liam for Connacht Rugby to claim a home berth in the last 16 of the Challenge Cup. We thought that Connacht would probably bonus point against Bree, but we didn't expect that sort of a performance. So they go in, yeah, and look, they're away to Newcastle, who have really at this stage they've 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 nothing to play for. So that's a game that they should be aiming to win and to a bonus point as well. I think so too. I think Newcastle's focus is elsewhere. I think they're looking specifically at the 17th of February with a away date to Bristol Bears. On the 17th of February, I think that's where they're kind of um, really kind of honing in to the Gallagher Premiership season at the moment. I think that's more their uh, priority right now. So I think for Connacht Rugby, it's imperative that they get the five points here, given how the Pool A is going. Cardiff Rugby on 15 points, Toulon second on 15 points, 
Connacht on 14, Bristol Bears on 14, Glasgow Warriors on 14. So, Liam, you can see the tail of the tape here. Connacht needs probably a bonus point here. Try win against Newcastle to really secure even and lock in one of those uh, home um, home berths here. So, not off the realm's possibility, as we said. So, look, I think it's all going very well. And the news that John Porch has signed for Connacht for another two years is a massive boost for Connacht rugby and what they're trying to build in Galway. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a, a key signing there, you have to say, from any friend. And um, this is a guy who has such talent. He can play across the back line. And, you know, wouldn't wouldn't be too far off the, the Irish squad, really. Exactly. Now, I think John Porch, uh, in terms of international aspirations, I'd still think he probably harbours ambitions to be an Australian test match cap. We'll come to that in a while with Dave Rennie and Eddie Jones. But the fact of the matter is here, uh, Porch has settled in very well to Connacht, well regarded, well admired here within Connacht, the staff and also the supporters, the fan base. So I think this is a great move uh, because there was speculation regarding John Porch's future there a few weeks ago in the media. So it's great that he's secured his long-term commitments uh, for Connacht Rugby. So great news there. And I think there's further signings to follow uh, later on in the week for Connacht Rugby. So exciting times for Connacht Rugby fans ahead of next season. So I suppose, Liam, we're kind of looking then in terms of the Champions Cup pool A pretty much looks pretty locked in terms of the first five teams here. Leinster, Sharks, Saracens, Exeter and Edinburgh have all qualified. So then there is a fight really for essentially three spots out of four. So you have the Bulls, Harlequins, Racing 92 and Gloucester vying for three uh, three spots out of four there. Uh, Pool B, Toulouse, La Rochelle, Leicester, Stormers, the Ospreys, who probably some been surprised packet, another magnificent performance against Montpellier. Um, Munster, then Montpellier and Clermont Auvergne and Sales. So I think Pool B is a little bit more uncertain. But I suppose, Liam, from the fixtures this weekend, what fixtures stand out for you in terms of the context, the permutations uh, for our last 16 draw here in this competition? Just a lot, a lot of games. I suppose, look, DHL, DHL Stormers um, at home to Clermont in terms of us and obviously Sail away to, to Ulster are, are certainly key games. Also, I, mean, I think that that uh, Leicester and against at home against Ospreys would be quite a quite a, an interesting game to watch as well. I think so too. I think Pool B really has intri- more intriguing games here, starting on the Friday night in Welford Road with Leicester Tigers against Ospreys. I mean, God, Ospreys are going to Leicester full of confidence, really. I mean, you take the last fifteen minutes of that Leicester rugby loss in the URC. They've been playing magnificent rugby in the last few weeks. So Toby Bootside will have no fears of Leicester Tigers, who maybe look a little bit slightly vulnerable without the services of Steve Warwick and Kevin Sinfield. I know there's been an upturn of form. Magnificent away win at Claremont and Verne would culminate at the end of John O'Gibbs and Claremont and Verne. I suppose it really does set things up very nicely there for an intriguing game. I mean, I hope that Ospreys can pull something out of the bag here. I think they're a lock anyway to get into the last 16, which is a magnificent achievement. But I suppose going back to Claremont or Vern, the fact that they made this announcement on Sunday really does show an awful lot traveling down to uh, the Stormers. John O'Gibbs gone. Bit of a surprise move uh, from your perspective, Liam? Yeah, I suppose. Look, I mean, the French teams, they're very ruthless when they collapse at home and get a massive thumping. 
you know, you're you're, you're gone. It's, it's it's as simple as that. I suppose, look, John Gibbs, this is a guy who's an ex-Ulster coach. Um, Ulster are probably a bit uncertain at the moment in terms of their coaching structure for next season. The question I would say is, did he not leave Ulster in a bit of a cloud when he said he was going back for, for, for a different reason to his own country? So I'm 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 well I, I think there could be a move met for him. I'm still not quite sure on that. I think with Claremont Alvern, I think the club are in transition. No two ways about it. The ones powerful Claremont Alvern yeah, it's a work in progress. I think really I think John O'Gibbs has been kind of caught in two stools here in terms of the game plan and also kind of facing out some fan favourites here, much to maybe the derision of maybe some board members. So I think from John O'Gibbs' perspective, last weekend was probably the culmination of the ending of the relationship here. And I think to be fair to Claremont or Vern, I'd be surprised if I see them getting anything off the Stormers. And if that is the case, then I think that is great news for the likes of Montpellier and also Munster as well. So so I think it's intriguing. I think the game that really kind of takes my fancy is probably Leinster Rugby against Racing 92. I mean, a few weeks ago, we thought Racing 92 were dead and buried. Uh, after that Le Havre uh, performance, which was a nightmare. But they come to the RDS in Dublin this weekend looking for a result to get themselves into the big dance. And to be perfectly honest with you, Liam, I would not fancy facing Racing 92 in springtime, given the ability that they have with ball in hand in the springtime in the dry track conditions. So I think for Leinster Rugby as well, it's a massive game, particularly when they have the likes of the Sharks and Saracens breathing down their necks. A top seed may not be there anymore if they get an unexpected loss here. Yeah, and look at it. Leinster struggled against those those ma- really massive um, packs as well. I certainly think it's going to be a competitive game. Maybe the f- one of the first games of the season, really, for Leinster, that's actually competitive. Wrestling are well in in terms of qualifying for the knockout stages. Still think, you know, Leinster will get over the line. It won't be quite all singing, all dancing, you know, Set six, seven tries, bonus point win. I, th- I think that they'll they'll get the win, but it'll be like probably within twelve, ten or twelve points. Yeah, because I think with Racing ninety two, if any ball club is worth their salt, the manner of that result in La Havre has to be grating on the management and players here, particularly. I expect Racing ninety two to be more galvanised than they were in La Havre. And particularly Finn Russell at 10 here, really kind of orchestrating things. I think this is one of the first key tests, as you say, for Leinster Rugby this season. I think it's a good test of their credentials. I think, heaven forbid, for Leinster Rugby fans, if there was a loss here, again, it opens the door straight up to the likes of the Sharks and Saracens to become top seeds here. And also you have extra Chiefs who are at home to cast who have absolutely no interest in the competition. So... Let's say, worst case scenario here for Leinster, that they do lose to Racing 92. There may be a situation here where they go from one seed to a four seed, and their kind of neutral venue for a potential semi final is smashed in the process. So I think this is a banana skin fixture here for Leinster Rugby. I really do. And I think Racing 92 should be buoyed, particularly on those two penalty tries that Leinster did get in, in King's Home. So I think from that perspective, that's an intriguing game for me. As well as that, I think uh, the Harlequins-Sharks uh, game as well, I think is very beautifully poised as well. And I think from a Harlequins perspective, if they don't really win that match on the Saturday, I think they could be the team to lose out in the last A qualification. Uh, honestly do, because the Sharks would be coming with a packed flat platform 
And I think, to be fair to Harlequins, they have to be on high alert here. I think the manner of their loss to Racing 92 has probably clearly irked them last weekend. But again, Sharks, I think, are a step up here to Racing 92. I really do in terms of their pack platform. So I think that's another game. So I think, unfortunately, maybe Harlequins might be the team to lose out here. Uh, but yeah, all to look forward to here. I suppose, uh, Liam, we can kind of switch away from European Cup rugby to looking at international test match rugby. Maybe we can get your viewpoint late last night uh, on Sunday. News filtered from Australia and uh, the Associated Press that Dave Rennie was departing his position as head coach. None other to be replaced by Eddie Jones in a five-year contract, which is, quote-unquote, pushing forward towards a professional future for the women's 15th game, as well as the Wallabies. So, I mean, Liam, I mean, for showstopper headlines here, at the start of a working week, I think this was pretty much on point here for Australia rugby. Yeah, it certainly was. Um, I suppose, look, the manner of a five-year contract is, like, nobody gets a five-year contract as, a, as an international coach nowadays. So that's that's um, quite uh, quite interesting. I suppose, too, there's, there'll always be that initial swing, upswing with Eddie Jones. His first year is always quite quite good. Right, and he's going to lay down good structures. He's known for laying down good structures, and you have to remember too, Australia have the next World Cup as well, so they have the 2027 World Cup, and it's all you know. There's there there's a strategy behind it, and also quite frankly, I think if the Aussies are are set up to meet England in a quarter final of the World Cup, I mean they, they, there's the ultimate guy who's going to mastermind a victory over England for Australia. Absolutely, now. I feel for Dave Rennie in a certain respect that you could see where this team was evolving to, particularly this year. Now, results may not have shown it. It was five wins and 14 tests. He did have a 38 win or 38% win rate during his coaching tenure with Australia. But you could see in terms of November test match series, particularly in the Viva against Ireland, where they did control the tempo and position for long periods, that... I'd go back to the whole kind of ghetto rule here if they had their full complement of Australian squad players here, that this team has serious potential. I think it's serious upside going into a World Cup, given the side of the draw that they're on. I think for Eddie Jones, as you say, he'll leave no stone unturned. And I think maybe maybe some discussions with the Australian board here to kind of see if they can relax that rule further to get a few more foreign-based Australian players back playing for Australia in France in 2023. Yeah, you look, you'd imagine too that there's there's nothing off the table and that probably in World Cup year and actually for the World Cup squad that he will be allowed to pick all the top foreign-based players as well. So for me, like, I mean, that would, that would be looking at basically the, the Arnold brothers at Toulouse, like serious quality. And obviously you've got the likes of Quade Cooper as well, even Sean McMahon. I know he's playing in in Japan, but he's a, a highly rated flanker as well. So it's more, I think, up front that beef that they need to get into their pack. Yeah, I think so. I think the front five still is a work in progress here, Liam. You think of Hooper, you think of the back row unit there. I thought it was outstanding against Ireland. Don't think there's any issues there. I think it's just the front five, particularly set piece, mall defence, they're scrummaging a little bit. I still think is a little bit of a question mark and I think no better person than any Jones to really address that. 
But again, you're kind of looking at some players on the outside here. I mean, even Sam Carter from Ulster Rugby. I mean, incredible talent here. Uh, Kane Douglas, Luke Mornan, Ollie Hoskins. You know, you've guys like Henry Spath here, Joe Tumani, you know, Tulu Latu as well. I mean, there's an awful lot of guys here that could provide an awful lot of upside. I think the Arnold brothers, um, Richie Arnold as well should be kind of getting in that Australian team as well. So I think it'll be a fascinating watch, particularly the rugby championship this year, to see how Eddie Jones really evolves the game plan or does he change things fundamentally here? Now, the whole fact of the matter is, with Dave Rennie gone, there is going to be backroom personnel changes here. We've seen it with Steve Borwick. You've seen it with Wayne Pivak um, as well. You know, when Wayne Pivak left, there was departures into backroom staff. I think there will be same here in Australia. Um, so it'll be intriguing to see who Eddie Jones brings in to his... Um, backroom setup as well and I suppose kind of leading then to from Australia to England and you say that could be an intriguing World Cup quarterfinal in France Steve Borwick was unveiled today in the press conference he named his 36-man squad for England's Six Nations campaign yeah I think there was a few kind of key omissions here uh, Liam and none other than Billy Vanapola, Johnny May and Jack Knoll all left out of the side I suppose what was your immediate reaction on that squad yeah, I mean, look, they're they're the most obvious um, omissions, and look for me, Noel and and me are, are still you know pretty much England's top wingers, so that was that was quite surprising. Yeah, and I think Watson as well is currently injured, so it remains to be seen if he's back fully fit, will he get back into it? But to me, it kind of felt like a clean slate here for Steve Borick. I think he's giving guys that maybe under Eddie Jones were dismissed uh, a little bit too early likes of Max Malins, Dan Cole, Elliot Daly, an opportunity to really stake their claim for a World Cup 2023 berth. Um, I think the more intriguing one was George McGuigan. Uh, he played for the Ireland under-18s and 20 squads for uh, going to the England Saxons. I mean, hooker position. So good to see Joe Marchant back as well. I do really rate him in that 36-man squad. Finn Smith as well, who we talked about, had a great game for Northampton Saints against Munster in Toman Park. I think he's uh, one to watch, I would say, along with uh, Marcus Smith, Owen Farrell as well as captain, and also the likes of the Ollie Hassel, Collins, Cadden, Moore. Now, just and- also, if I can, I can, yeah, I, I don't know if this is just related, but uh, Jack Willis, yeah. selected from Toulouse, is, uh, is quite significant, you know? I think that's because quite I've, I've been a kind of in terms of England. I've been I've been, I've been saying for for last season Zach Mercer of a of Montpellier. Yes, has been has yeah. been a, a standout forward in Europe. You know, like I mean the the precedent has been set here with that yeah, Jack Willis. Sure. Um, so it, it remains to be seen here for Boric. He wasn't really pressed on that today on the press conference, but I would. Yeah, I mean, Zach Mercer has been lighting it up from Montpellier this year. So, like, for him not to be to be ignored would be really foolhardy. But I thought the notable side notes was Kevin Sinfield's comments in terms of Owen Farrell and also tackling technique here. And they did acknowledge that there is a fundamental issue here in terms of Farrell and his tackling technique and that he has to address it. He's now a marked man in terms of his tackling technique now. So anything, anyway, borderline high, I think TMOs and referees are going to be a high alert. So... I think it was key for Kevin Sinfield and Borwick, Steve Borwick to really come out today and acknowledge that there is a problem here and that uh, the player in question needs to work hard to remedy that. Yeah, absolutely. As you said, like you know, he, he's a he's a marked man now with uh, match officials, 
And it's always been a problem. Like, I mean, it's, it's been almost like a running joke <laughs> on Farrell's tackling technique. So, um, I don't know. It's just, it, it's crazy. It hasn't been addressed really so far. I'm going to be fascinated to see how the Steve Borwick, Kevin Sinfield backroom kind of shake-up in England is going to take hold, really. And I think they've picked a bold squad here. I still think Billy Funapola has an awful lot to offer. Same with Jack Noel, Johnny May, as you said yourself. So I think it's a 36-man squad. There's going to be attrition in these Six Nations games. So I don't think those three are going to be any way out in the cold in terms of their England international futures. But maybe it's giving them a kick up the backside a little bit to uh, elevate their performances a little bit. I suppose uh, Liam kind of leaving that on Thursday, we have Andy Farrell's Six Nations selection. What's your overall reading? What do you expect happening? Should happen, but may not happen uh, in this squad selection? Yeah, well, I mean, one of the most obvious ones is certainly Jamie Osborne's form um, to be selected in the squad. I, I think in an extended squad, 30, whatever, five-man squad, I, I, th- I think he'll, he'll be definitely there. The question, I suppose, really is now with Munster and the, the halfbacks, will Carberry and will Murray be there? Even more so, I would nearly argue in the sense of, of Carby. So much has been invested in him in time. And he's the clear second choice. He's got 35-odd gaps. You know, it would be ooh, a, a real gamble just to, to to cut him loose from the squad. So I, I, I can't really see that happening either. So I think those two those two will, will, will continue in the squad. I think that... Calvin Nash again in an extended squad certainly should be there on form. Maybe not quite, you know, last weekend didn't work for him, but like he has been absolutely standout for Munster this season. I think the 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 hooker position it's intriguing as well. Hooker and prop obviously, but uh, at hooker who's going to be third choice hooker? I yeah. I would say probably you know and um, Tom Stewart. Of Ulster is tearing up trees, he literally is. Yeah. Um, but you also have Dave Heffernan, you know, so it's probably between those two lads for that. And uh, again, I want to kind of see in terms of props, in terms of loose head prop, like who's going to be who's going to be back up there for Porter. I would think like Furlong as well. He's extended injury absence as well. I think is another question mark on this selection. Definitely will be included in the extended match day squad, training squad, whatever you want to call it. But again, we're going to have to identify who's up there. Um, Finney Bealham certainly comes into mind, but I think we need a little bit more options than what we've seen in November, I think, personally. So, yeah, the hooker position, I think Tom Stewart has an outside chance of maybe getting a call up here, uh, for sure. Um, has impressed impressed me when uh, Ulster came to Connacht. Thought he was very abrasive, very mobile. I think he's still a work in progress. I think he was guilty of maybe one or two penalty concessions, but I thought his work rate, thought his accuracy and set piece was very good. So I think that's an up-and-comer. There is a clamour here for Jamie Osborne. Uh, now, like so James Hume is there, hasn't done anything wrong per se, but again, you have a guy in Jamie Osborne who was in that Emerging Ireland tour to South Africa. Uh, I think that is a key one here as well. I think there's a few of these guys that maybe will get into that extended training day squad just to run the rule over them uh, per se so I think that'll be per- fairly fascinating yeah it's just interesting just to see Robert Balacone as well does he feature in Six Nations Mac Hansen as well he was in the fullback position for Connacht against Breve is that maybe a potential backup here for Hugo Keenan 
I think there was fascinating moves there. Farrell, um, Easterby, my cat, they were at various Champions Cup games. But, I mean, the Mac Hansen switch to full-back didn't look too bad either. So, I think he shows versatility. So, I think it'd be, I think, 80% the team or team and squad. But I think there may be one or two bolters here, for sure. I think the hooker position, definitely. Dave Heffern, I think, is a favourite of Andy Farrell. But you have Rob Herring as well. So, But I think it's the intriguing, the Conor Murray, the Joey Carberry selection here. And two from the backups here. Like, I mean, obviously, Craig Casey's in. Jameson Gibson Parks in. Who else would you have here, Liam? Uh, well, look, I mean, I mean, the Ulster boys, I suppose, look, some of them in the recent weeks, the form has kind of come off a bit, but like, definitely, um, Ethan McElroy is yeah. a guy who hugely impressed me all, all season. Um, I think still Nathan Doak definitely has to be worth a look um, at scrum half. And this is a bit outfield, but Edwin Adogbo is like... <laughs> <laughs> he just, you know, I mean, if this guy could be worked into the squad as well, um, so I suppose look, I'm looking at him and maybe Joe McCarthy, um, if they, if they could be selected in the extended squad as well. Well, exactly. It's the, even the back row position here and reunit. I mean, like I said, Gavin Coombs is he's absolutely chomping at the bit to get in, but who do you drop from that as well? Um, so I think it's going to be an awful lot of tough calls here. And phone calls from Andy Farrell to certain players here that are not making the squad. And I think it's going to be intriguing here on Thursday because I think maybe the die may be cast on one or two of particularly maybe Munster rugby players here. Maybe a halfback may be told, you know, that he's outside the extended squad, but really kind of the building their form back up again. So I think it's intriguing. I think it's intriguingly poised here. And I would hope for Andy Farrell's sake that he is running the rule in terms of form lines here and not reputations and really kind of sending messages to people that you thought maybe should have gotten into the squad, but due to recent months, hasn't really featured and really haven't been able to play their way into the province. So I think I think from that perspective, Pierre Liam, I think it's uh, going to be an interesting selection. I think there's maybe going to be a few notable omissions here and... I think it's going to be very interesting just to see the whole development of the squad here. I'm thinking of the keen Prendergasts of this world. There'll be a few prospects here that will be getting more extended training reps here and maybe getting some opportunities towards the latter end of uh, the Six Nations tournament, which is be always good. Yeah, and uh, also even Anton Frisch. I mean, there is mm-hmm. speculation that, like, you know, the French have been sniffing about him, but he's kind of committed to, to Ireland. And certainly he has to be in, in the, the mix as well. Um, in terms of maybe looking at not not quite the big games, but certainly maybe the Italian game for him to get some game time. Exactly. Uh, I don't see the likes of the Osbournes of this world really coming in immediately. I think they'll be run, the rule will be run over them during training reps. You never know, Antoine Frisch may have been participating in some before Christmas training sessions just to kind of get a sense of the setup. So. Uh, and again, he's another guy that went into that Emerging Ireland um, setup as well. So. I think all in all, it'll be. I'm I'm fascinated just to see this team selection. I thought November fair enough. I think players were on form, but I think the more that we come into the Six Nations here, the more that there's a few bolters that are coming in from the pack. So, and some marquee established names are maybe under a little bit of pressure. So, it remains to be seen from Andy Farrell in terms of loyalty to certain players, and uh, versus maybe giving some new opportunities to players who may be impressed in the emerging tour. Not namely the likes of Jamie Osborne, uh, for instance, or the Calvin Ashes, or even the Shane Daly's for that matter. I think Shane Daly, particularly in the back three, can definitely do a job as well. But I mean, 
all to be revealed on Thursday. And I suppose we'll run the rule over that next week here, Liam. I suppose, Liam, before we go, uh, can we get maybe kind of a maybe prediction for you in terms of Champions Cup? Who do you feel from the Irish provinces will advance to the last 16 and maybe Challenge Cup as well? Do you feel that Connacht will secure a home, uh, home berth um, last 16, uh, Ty? Yeah, well, I suppose, look, in, tr- in terms of the European Cup, I would certainly think Leinster will get the win just about against Racing without a bonus point. I think Munster will get a losing bonus point to Toulouse. Ulster, I really think Ulster could lose. I mean, it's just, it's 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 so hard to predict with them. Yeah, and because I'm, I'm thinking about all the other permutations and I will go with Sale to actually sneak a win at Ulster. Wow. Yeah. That would be a big yeah. statement. I'm just thinking of Ulster Rugby on that Sale Sharks game. The hurt of that 39-0 loss in the AJ Bell Stadium. I mean, if that doesn't provoke a reaction on Ulster Rugby, no thing else will. I think with Sale Sharks, there's a bit of a turnaround. The fact that they played 14 players. And I think this is maybe a factor here for Munster and Toulouse as well. Playing 14 players for so long. You know, is that going to be an impact next weekend? That turnaround time, particularly in the last quarter, as you mentioned, in terms of Toulouse and their bench closers. I think this may be the same here for Sale Sharks. I think Ulster have to resurrect their season somehow. And I think they will. I think there's, if the weather is okay in... Kingspan. There's no reason for me to believe that Ulster Rugby can't get a win, a much needed win here. I think maybe a bonus point here and really kind of really looking at the, um, not the Ospreys, but the Stormers and um, Claremont Auvergne. And I really do think that Ulster might be the team to come in. But the only thing here is that I, I still agree with you. I think Ulster Rugby should have a little bit too much on the Racing 92, even though I think it will be more tighter game. I think, for me, it's maybe an all-Irish last 16. It's either Leinster Rugby, Munster Rugby, or Leinster Rugby, Ulster Rugby. I think there's a home tie in Dublin there set up, um, for sure. I think Munster Rugby in Toulouse, as long as there's a performance there, again, I'd be delighted if there's a win, but if they can be within seven points, I'd be delighted as well, just to kind of short things up. And even if they could get to the fifth, sixth seed, I'd be much happy there. But then, you have the likes of Exeter, you have the Sharks, yeah, the Stormers there as well. So I think uh, it's uh, or Saracens. So I think nothing's going to be soft in that last 16. And I think for Connacht Rugby, I think it should all point to a win in Kingston Park against Newcastle, just in terms of how Newcastle have fared in the season so far. Hopefully they can get a secure home field advantage in the Challenge Cup because it looks like the viable option for them to qualify for Champions Cup next season. Yeah, because I, Mark, I, I, I said before, I mean, Connacht would be up there in the top two or three, really, for winning the Challenge Cup. And I even, I'd even state that even in terms of if four teams drop down, you know, from the European Champions Cup, Connacht are, are still have. You look at the, at the at the teams, the other teams there, and you say Connacht have the beating of them all anyway. Yeah, I think so. I definitely do, genuinely. And I think it's unfortunate for Connacht, just given Pool A seems to be so competitive. There's five teams there within, you know, a point of each other. If you look at Pool B, a Challenge Cup here as well, an awful lot of teams gave up the ghost after around two rounds. And really, there's a real disparity in terms of the points tally there. Um, so I think from that perspective, I think if Connacht can get a home field advantage here, no one will fancy coming to Galway, uh, particularly in April, um, for sure. Uh, so... 
yeah, all to look forward to. So best of luck to all the Irish provinces. Uh, I suppose next week we'll run the rule over Champions Cup and Challenge Cup. Who qualified, who didn't. Maybe look ahead to the last 16. Also look at the Ireland Six Nations selection. I think there's going to be some intriguing calls there. And also look at other Six Nations squad selections, which are planned for uh, this week as well. I suppose, Liam, enjoy the weekend. And sure, we'll talk next week. Thanks, Mark. And hopefully you get a good performance in Toulouse. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode. If you liked what you heard in this podcast, why not subscribe to the Hawkeye Psychic podcast on either Amazon, Spotify, YouTube or Twitter platforms. You can also follow me at Hawkeye Psychic on Facebook and Twitter for the latest sporting opinions, articles and reports.